Welcome to Stories from the Revolution. I'm John White. Glad to be talking with you today. And in, in, in these episodes, uh, we're talking about the massive spiritual paradigm shift currently underway in the U.S. and around the world. This is episode 58. Um, almost every day, I get to talk to people who are being called into this uh, spiritual paradigm shift. It's very exciting. Now, the last episode uh, was titled Learning to Ask Questions That Matter. And I want you to know that I'm working on a series of episodes on that topic. I'm going to do something different today, but uh, we, we haven't finished with learning to ask questions that matter. That's such a key, key topic. More to come on that. It'll be a whole series. But in the last couple of days, as I meet with Jesus in the morning, we dialogue, listen together. I feel like he's giving me um, an assignment, bringing an assignment to mind. And that is to do an episode on the leader team lesson for this month. <clears throat> Let me explain what I mean by that, give you a bit of context. So, uh, as some of you know, the first step to engaging with the Loop 10 community is our Church 101 course. This is kind of like the front door, uh, both into the community and into the values and practices that the Lord has led us to. Uh, Church 101, five-week course, virtual, uh, with a small group of people, very simple. And it's where you get introduced to what we call two rhythms of attention. That little phrase is really important in the Luke 10 community. First of all, the word attention. So it's our conviction that learning to pay attention is actually the key to spiritual growth. Um, in my early years, I would have said, no, it's discipline. It's working hard. But I've changed my mind on that. I think the key is learning how to pay attention. Uh, the second key word of that is rhythm. Um, the rhythm method, if you will. Uh, rhythm is something that you do in a repeated way over and over again. Uh, rhythm of attention is learning to pay attention to my heart and your heart. That allows the two of us, or maybe a small group, to connect on the heart level. That's one of our values, connecting on the heart level. It creates community, is what we've learned. The second rhythm of attention, the first one is, is for you and I to connect on a heart level. The second rhythm is learning to connect with Jesus's heart, <clears throat> learning to listen to him by myself, but also with a group. So growing in community or growing in intimacy with each other and Jesus, that's what Church 101 is about. Church 101 is also about the context of growth. Um, it's the smallest expression of church. It's what we call a church of two or a CO2. So in Church 101, you learn about a CO2, and we encourage you to begin to practice that. We call the CO2 the basic building block for every larger expression of church. If you're going to build a building, you might have a lot of bricks or a lot of cinder blocks. Those would be the basic building blocks upon which the whole building is built. And we think the CO2 is exactly that in the spiritual sense. 
one of the benefits of the CO2 is that it allows us to practice the rhythms of attention um, daily or close to daily. Again, if the only expression of church that you're in is a house church or a larger traditional church, uh, you probably only get to practice paying attention once a week, maybe twice a week. But with a CO2, it's so easy to do that on a daily basis. Um, my CO2 partner uh, is a brother named Jim. We've been doing this for close to 20 years. And uh, he calls me uh, every morning on his way to work. It's just part of our rhythm. And we get 15, 20 minutes, maybe a little bit longer to check in with each other, share about where our heart is and to listen to Jesus. So CO2, the context of growth. Another thing about the Church 101 course is you learn the tend to be prayer, um, which we think is a key to the growth of the kingdom. I've talked a lot about that previously, so I'm not going to un unpack that more. So you go through Church 101, five weeks, and you find that yourself, that you're resonating with the values and the practices that you're learning there. At that point, we invite you to ask Jesus if he wants you to join what we call a Luke 10 leader team. This is a small group of usually four to eight people who've also been through Church 101. Uh, generally meets every other week for 90 minutes, uh, virtually uh, Zoom calls. And this is kind of the next step after Church 101. It's the context for deepening the values and practices of the Luke 10 community. And part of what we do is that every month there is a new lesson, a new uh, leader team lesson. <clears throat> and these lessons are built around this concept. Uh, we, are, we are teaching skills of highly effective spiritual leaders. And each month we tackle um, a different skill. So a, the, the leader team lesson is a, a great uh, resource for you. It's uh, stuff that you can work on on your own and then that you can discuss with your leader team together. So that's all background. That's all context to talk about the leader team lesson for this month. Uh, this is uh, January of 2022. And the key leadership skill for this month is what we call cultivating the habit of reframing. Cultivating the habit of reframing. We think this is an absolutely critical skill for any leader because it is a key, maybe the key, to maturity. One of the words that's used for a leader in scripture is the word elder. Uh, it's translated elder. The Greek word is presbyteros. It simply means, presbyteros simply means an older one, or we say it's a spiritual grown-up. Now, in my background as a Presbyterian pastor, an elder was actually an office or a, a, a sort of a formal function. We had elders meetings uh, every month and so on, and that's fine. But I think it's a much broader word than that, uh, that in the church, leadership is to be provided by spiritual grown-ups, whether we attach the formal name of elder to them or not. And so we are all moving towards that place of being a spiritual grown-up. That leads us then to the question of how is it that we grow up? 
emotionally and spiritually. We are all in the process of that. And critical to that is that we must learn how to process difficult events and difficult emotions that come from those events. We all go through difficult events of life. Um, it can be as difficult as uh, abuse or just challenging family growing up in. Um, you know, we get fired, our business closes down, divorce, difficult. I mean, it's a whole long list of things that we can say. <clears throat> and these difficult events of life can cause us to get stuck emotionally. We can get stuck in depression, in bitterness, in resentment. Uh, these emotions are like too close to us and they kind of take us over. Or the opposite extreme is we can get stuck in denial. We can just uh, cause these things, we, we can sort of move them out of our consciousness. And that's not very healthy either. One of the, the phrases that I, I think is uh, really grabs a hold of me, which I think is a very wise statement. Somebody has said that those parts of us inside that we don't love, that we, we ignore, will tend to move to a, a distant place. This is all internal. Move to a distant place and set up a rebellion against us. So we, we find that there are, there are things in our lives that we're not able to get over. It's almost like parts of us are, are causing us trouble. And uh, that can be a result of denial, of just trying to pretend that some things didn't hurt. So if it's not being stuck in the emotions, they're too close. If it's not denial, we push them far away. What's the alternative? And we're suggesting the alternative is to reframe those difficult emotions. Here's the underlying concept with reframing. This sentence is, I think, so profound. I wish I'd known this earlier on. Here it is. The emotions we feel are determined by the meaning we attach to any event. That is amazing. Our emotions aren't determined by the event itself, although we sometimes think it is, and we talk like that, but it's determined, the emotions are determined by the meaning that we attach to it. Change the meaning, change the emotions. That's reframing. Now, as Christians, that's not something we do on our own. It's not something, oh, I'm so smart, I'm just going to go in and reframe the situation. We have the amazing resource of the Lord himself, of Emmanuel, God with us, helping us to reframe and to see the meaning of the event from his perspective. Right, let me give you a couple examples from scripture. These are, I, I love these stories. They have helped me so much in my own personal life in reframing some of the difficult things that have happened to me. Somebody start in the New Testament with Paul, and the passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's the context. Paul says that, that he's been given a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what it is. There are lots of speculations as to what it is, but it's a thorn. But the key word is he describes the emotion that goes with that. He says he's tormented. It sounds like it must have been awful. Um, and, and it's so bad that he, he prays to the Lord three times, and maybe that's even code for just relentlessly, asking God to take it away. You know, God, this thorn is driving me crazy. Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was a physical ailment. We don't know. 
but it was tormenting Paul. It was just there all the time, and he's asking God to take it away. Then, in the midst of this passage, again, 2 Corinthians 12, Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus do? He reframes the thorn. We don't know that he ever actually took the thorn away, but he gives a different meaning to the thorn. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And here's the principle, Paul. When you are weak, that's when my power, my dunamis in the Greek, rests upon you or, or resides in you. And you can almost see the light bulb going off in Paul's head as this thorn is reframed. Jesus himself is attaching a different meaning to the thorn. And he says the meaning is, the key to the meaning is power. Now we assume that Paul knew something about God's power. Power for healing, for deliverance, for uh, ministry, for emotional growth. Uh, the power, the capacity to do particular things. Paul had experienced some of that. And it's like Jesus is saying, Paul, I want to tell you how to get more of that. And Paul says, oh, okay, I, I really like your power, Lord, and I want more of that. And if the pathway to that is my weakness, which is revealed through this thorn, I'm all in. Paul uses two words which uh, allow us to see that reframing has occurred. He says, um, he says therefore, I will delight in my weakness and I will boast. Those two words, delight and boast show us that reframing has taken place. So that's the first story. That's a great story of reframing. And I think it's the reframing that that allowed Paul to be the spiritual grown-up that he was, to be the leader that he was. He had to reframe that. Otherwise, he could have been stuck in anger, bitterness, resentment, uh, depression even over this thorn. All right, here's the second story. I, I love this story. This is the Old Testament, and it's the story of Joseph. So uh, you, you know the story in Genesis. Joseph is a young man. Um, he's in this family with a lot of brothers, and his brothers are jealous of him. They are not very nice guys. And one day they throw him in a pit and then sell him to these people coming through, these slave traders, I guess, sort of coming through. They sell them, their, their own younger brother. And then they they tell this lie to the father. Well, no, he was killed. Uh, uh, Joseph is dead. He's, uh, he's no longer with us. Well, he was alive, but he's taken off into Egypt. Um, there he is, again, sold into slavery in Potiphar's household. Um, yeah, again, the story, I won't go into all of that, but the story with Potiphar's wife, who does some pretty nasty things to him, and then she gets angry, and and he's then put into prison, and we don't know how long he spends, probably years in slavery, years in prison, and you know, as far as he knew, uh, he, he, might, he might spend the rest of his life there, he might die in prison, but through some interesting circumstances with dreams, again, I won't go into that, he gets out of prison and he becomes the number two guy in uh, Pharaoh's kingdom, Pharaoh's household. Um, and then his brothers, the very brothers that so brutally abused him, uh, because they are desperate for food, they end up coming down to Egypt. Uh, they, they don't know anything about Joseph. As far as they know, Joseph has died. 
and they, they show up and Joseph sees them. Now, if anybody in the entire Bible had the right to be angry, resentful, bitter, to want to get them back, to make them suffer. And he was in a position to do that, right? I mean, he he could have really made their lives miserable. If anybody could have could have the right to do that, in one sense, the right, it would be Joseph. But Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, this is the key verse. Genesis 50, 20, Joseph sees his brothers and here's what he says to them. You meant it to me for evil. So he's not discounting. He's not in denial about what happened. He's not kind of papering it over and making it really nice. You meant it to be for evil, but God meant it to me for good and for the salvation of many. Somewhere along the line, and we don't know exactly where with Joseph, somewhere along the line, God had reframed the story of the pit. And he had attached new meaning to the story of the pit. What's the new meaning? He's saying to Joseph two things. One is, uh, this is for your good. And Joseph now is in a place where he can see. He's the number two guy in the, in the kingdom with, uh, with Pharaoh. For your good and for the salvation of many. Wow, that is serious reframing. So that's exactly what we think is necessary a necessary skill for leaders. And it's not a skill exactly that we do, but it's a skill that we, the skill is coming to Jesus and asking him to reframe the the negative events, the difficult events, the difficult negative emotions that from what you've experienced in your life. Without that, you won't be able to be an effective leader. You won't be able to be uh, a, a mature, godly, spiritual mother or father. So that's a long explanation, but that's an example of the skills that people are learning in leader teams in Luke 10. Every month, there's a new skill that we focus on. Our vision, you see, is for a worldwide spiritual revival. But how can that revival, how can that awakening become sustainable? Well, we know that uh, that it's only in the context of family-like groupings that character becomes character change becomes sustainable. That's critical. So that's why in Luke ten we're always talking about vibrant families of Jesus. That's what we're interested in helping people start and how to nurture them. But the key to vibrant spiritual families is the leaders and the leader of families are parents. So the vision, the vision statement in Luke 10 is to see a vibrant family of Jesus in easy access of every person in every people group and region in the world. This is the, the vision for a massive worldwide spiritual awakening. That's the vision statement. The mission statement is how we think God has directed us to accomplish the vision, and that is by equipping and connecting spiritual leaders. And again, whenever you hear spiritual leaders in Luke 10, we're talking about spiritual moms and dads. That's our focus, is on helping to train up those spiritual moms and dads. We think that's exactly what Jesus was doing in Matthew 10 and Luke 10. 
um, that's where we see his vision for this, for literally reaching the entire world. So uh, you may already be in a Luke 10 leader team. If you're listening to this, great. Um, and so my just encouragement is carving out time because it does take time to give attention to the, the lessons. Um, a lot of thought, a lot of attention is is put into these lessons and, and they're filled with great material, uh, biblical content, videos to watch, exercises to work through. Um, I just encourage you to make that a priority, give that attention both individually and then come to your leader team ready to share how the Lord is using that in your life. Some of you, this is new material, new information. You're not in a Luke 10 leader team. And, and I just want to invite you to come train with us. Uh, if if what you're hearing about Luke 10 is making sense, um, you're invited. Um, we have a growing number of people that God is bringing to us. How do you do that? Again, starting place, Church 101. How do you sign up for that? Simply go to our website, uh, lk10.com. You'll see buttons there. Start training. Click on a button. Uh, first step, it will be an intro call where you kind of get introduced to Church 101, get to uh, find out what it's about, how we do it, ask questions about it, and then actually start training with a group going through Church 101. That is over. Then you get to, you're invited to ask Jesus about joining a leader team. Love to have you. Come train with us. So again, this is John White. Um, this is the Lord's assignment for me to talk about today. Thanks for listening and very glad to be on the journey with you.